right. Welcome back to the latest and the greatest of the Blue Brothers Sportscast. Real talk, real fans. We bring you Michigan football each and every week. I'm Caleb, and with me as always is Craig. And uh feels like it's been a little while, because technically it has been a while. We uh, we just came off a of National Signing Day last week, and we did a special for it that we actually recorded a week ahead of time. And so we technically recorded two episodes one week, rec- uh, put one out that week, and then we waited to put the second one out during the week of National Signing Day. So technically we haven't recorded for two weeks, because I'll tell you what, after editing that video, if you guys saw it, um, I put a lot of time into that. It was nice to have a little bit of a break, but, uh, yeah, we're hoping that you guys liked the video because we're going to be looking into doing more things like that during the off season. Uh, nothing set yet, but we're always experimenting and expanding with some things. So, uh, Craig, did you hear any, uh, any feedback from anybody on the video or? No, just, well, I mean, I heard yeah a lot of good things. Um, a lot of people loved it and, um, enjoyed we enjoyed doing it which was really cool um but uh yeah what a, it was a good time to get with Rashawn and stuff yeah definitely always good to connect with him so it does take a little bit more work but i think there are different ways that we can kind of make it more efficient and main or streamline it there we go that's the word i was looking for um so yeah maybe we will do it on a more regular basis but right now it's kind of like special events special occasions that we'll be working with that Plus, I don't think it was very, I mean, it was enlightening, I think, to people because there were, really wasn't anything that we didn't say on there that wasn't far off. I mean, there, I think all the things we touched on was pretty spot on on National Signing Day that you and I and Rashawn and quite a few people in the know uh, knew, you know, some of the recruits and what, what was going to happen that day and happened. Yeah, and it wasn't um, – there weren't re- any really big major surprises this year. I know there were some big things last year that people were kind of hoping for. And then, if I'm not mistaken, then the year before that was Rashawn Gary. So there have been some big things in the past. And this year there wasn't um, as many splashes for Michigan in the recruiting world. But we'll, we will be doing um, – this episode we're actually going to be taking some time to do a little bit of catch-up. We've had – uh, voicemail, and we also had a question submitted to us that we don't want to leave on the wayside and forget about, um, and some other things going on that we're going to talk about. And so then next week, since it's post-signing day, we're going to take some in-depth time to uh, discuss what occurred on National Signing Day, yeah. the classes. We might talk about uh, other things that happened in the Big Ten. Maybe nationally, I have no idea. But uh, also, we're anticipating to have somebody with us next week, so... Uh, maybe another big, uh, exciting episode next week for that. But for this one, I guess we won't keep anybody in, in well, sorry. <clears throat> I guess we won't keep anyone in suspense. There we go. Words are hard. I got this. Um, we'll start off with the voicemail, I think. Were you going to say something, Craig? Sorry. No, I just, you know, you talking about words are hard. This show isn't always easy you think it gets easier every year but you know there's times where we're at a loss for words yeah there's there's the ebb and flow and the ups and downs so especially on names i mean getting kind of sick of it if if, if they don't mention the person's name on tv then we're just kind of going with what we think yeah well they don't even do a good job with that sometimes what's amazing and i think it's the michigan athletic website itself but they have those i don't know if you've seen it craig or if any of the listeners have but they have little sound clips on how to say people's names see that's what you need yeah you know what you and i all right here he is million dollar idea don't steal it anybody an app that does people's names and how to sound and pronounce it would be great I'd, I'd buy, I would buy that, wouldn't you? I would think that you could at least have it out for free and have that with ads yeah. on it and make some money from that. Right. That'd be cool. Yeah. But, you know, the name the names of these, I mean, trust me, there's some crazy names out there. I mean, heck, people are butchering my name. They call me Greg. <laughs> I don't even get my, they don't even get my name right. Oh, yeah. 
Yep. <laughs> nope. I, I don't ever hold it against anybody because I know my struggle with it. So I'm very graceful with other people and uh, giving them a chance with mine. So, yeah. But, uh, okay, so, uh, yeah, so we have voicemail, we have a question that was submitted, and then we have one other topic that we want to cover before we finish. Um, so we'll uh, kind of do the normal thing and start off with the voicemail, and we'll jump into that here, and let's get that moving along. Good old Jim P. here again at the Jim P. L9 on Twitter from uh, the uh, wonderful town of boring, I mean, Bowling Green, Kentucky, home of the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. Okay, here's my quick uh, two cents. What the hell is going on that these linemen get Michigan down that their, their final two or three and then Michigan keeps losing out? Is it just something with Drevno? It, there's too many good linemen slipping through their fingers, and it, it's really going to catch up. And this guy that they're courting from Rice – if I read correctly, he's only like honorable mention Conference USA. Okay, what uh, the local team for me, Western Kentucky, in Conference USA, and that's really nothing to brag about. Maybe this guy's a late bloomer. Apparently, we're going to find out. And uh, one last thing, Mike, uh, this Belani prick from ninety-seven-one. Sparty's cock. Uh, I can't say that on here. Uh, you might want to edit that. I tell you, uh, acting like that it's a witch hunt that somebody would make up those allegations just because it's his school, so he denies it. I tell you this: if it, if it was Michigan, he would say the outside the lines report's the best uh, piece of journalism he's ever seen. It's uh, he's a joke. That's why I don't stream that uh, that sports show, and I haven't in a long time. He's the kind of guy that. He got stuffed in lockers in high school. Hope you two gents are having a great day, and thanks for taking my call. Jim P. out. All right, Jim P., much appreciated. Always good to hear from you. Uh, always good to hear your thoughts. Uh, a frequent caller and everything. So much appreciated. Hope you're having an awesome time, too. Things are well. But um, I think probably where I'll jump in uh, real quick um, the end part where he was talking about the Michigan State stuff and uh, why am I blanking of Valen? How do you say it? Val- <laughs> talking about talking about not pronouncing names right. Was it Valeni or T Valente? Yep. Valente, whatever. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty popular in Michigan area. Yeah, I I don't listen to sports radio because I really don't think they're that great. So he's a Michigan State. Homer, and that's what he does. And you know, even when it doesn't make sense, you know, that's what he's kind of a you know. To me, you know, I don't listen to him either, even though it's in my area. But uh, yeah, I I really don't listen to the guy at all. So sometimes he makes all right con, uh, comments, and then sometimes he doesn't. But he does rub people the wrong way around here. So yeah, I um. I usually let other people be my filter because if there's ever anything worth listening to, people uh, with all the people that I follow on on Twitter and social media, they'll be like, "Oh, you need to listen to this." You know, there's some good points here or whatever. Or there, the people are like, "God, oh, this is garbage. This is trash." So most of the time, I just let other people be my filter, and if they say it's worth listening to, I'll listen to a segment of something. But yeah, it's uh, to get. I think. This is kind of how we're going to approach things with that. I guess Craig and I haven't really discussed this, so maybe if things come up later in the, uh, in the discussion and everything. We have not discussed the issues at Michigan State and the approach that I'm taking with it uh, with our episodes and everything. First and foremost, I mean, I know we touch on different things that happen in uh, the Big Ten Conference and in college football, mm-hmm. but I've approached it from this way for our podcast is that with it being Michigan State, I feel like some people will just automatically, and not really our listeners, our constant listeners, but anybody else who will see, like if we put Michigan State in our title and talk about what's going on with that, will automatically think and associate it with us dogging on a rival school for something that's going on with it. 
So it's easier to kind of avoid it than diving into it. But then also it, it's being co- things are being covered in very well. Like you were talking about the outside line reports, uh, Jim, and there are other things going on. And there are some really good journalists from Detroit. Uh, I believe some of them were from Lansing and are, like all across the state and even outside uh, outside the state that are doing a good job covering it. And I feel like we wouldn't be able to ma- like there are other resources that people can use. Um, and that people can go to. I would say this though, like it, it's being covered, and I think it's it's great that there's light being shed on it. If something like that was going on in Michigan, I think uh, light should be shed on it, and the sh- truth should come out, and people should be held accountable for whatever happened. Um, and now, if it was a case where people were still brushing it under the carpet and denying it and people were not being outspoken about it, like there weren't news outlets, then, yeah, maybe we would use our platform as being like, hey, something needs to be done about this. But appropriate people are taking that action, and I I think it's heading in the right direction of, you know, something is going to be done and found out about it. So that's been my approach. I mean, uh, I I don't want to dive into all the content and information and dig it out, but... I feel like that's kind of our approach with things here, maybe with the podcast. Uh, we might be more vocal of vocal about on social media. Well, I mean, I have, and everybody knows where I stand on it. You know, at times I have to remove myself from the conversation when it comes to that because I do live here in East Lansing. I am about 15 minutes from campus, so, you know, <laughs> things get around. I, I know quite a bit uh, more than most people. Um, and I do know, I, in fact, am personal friends with one of the victims of the Nasser thing. So when she lives in my town, in fact, uh, I'm friends with her, or her, her, uh, father, um, and, uh, yeah, a good, great family. Um, and my wife knows the grandfather really well. So, um, it hits home for me because the person I, that girl that I know, um, is probably one of the strongest person I've ever met to do this, to come out. And she was one of the people that almost, if, if the investigation started with her, we wouldn't be going through all this. We wouldn't have that many victims and they didn't listen to her. And it's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. But, you know, like you said, a lot of things are happening. Uh, hopefully they can, clean house when it comes to these people who covered it up clean house and then start over again um you know and i think uh angler coming in and doing that and uh, gonna get the bright people in place to who aren't gonna let they they came there they really got pretty close to getting the death penalty or any something similar to penn state so they really need to be uh, uh it, this is a uh, this is a, t- a time where Michigan State right now has like mud on their face when it comes to this kind of stuff, and and they're going to have to clean themselves up and get back on track. And uh, like you said, I think a lot of things are happening um, in this case. And you know, like I said, you know, I could be a little bit more vocal about it, you know, because I am a little bit personally involved with it a little bit. But um, yeah, I'll leave it. The, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I knew that you'd have a little bit more to say about it, uh, just for the reasons like you were saying. So, um, so we probably just kind of an FYI moving forward, we probably won't take questions um, and talk about on the podcast with that stuff for all the reasons that we just mentioned. But as Craig and I have also said, uh, we might be more vocal on social media with things like that. Um, But to address and talk about things uh, on that part of uh, Jim's message and the other part talking about the uh, offensive linemen who are slipping through our fingers, that has been a sensitive subject for quite some time. Um, I can't, I don't know necessarily when you would say the issue began where you saw all these offensive linemen just, you know, uh, slipping past Michigan. And part of the time I was just like, well, you know, some of it's going to happen because even at, uh, if you listen to our last episode, you heard us discuss how a lot of these players are very family-oriented and they want to be close to their families <clears throat> and different things like that. So some of it's there. So sometimes, I mean, you're just almost kind of set up to fail. Uh, you know, with all these great players coming out of the high schools down south, 
Uh, if you're not that close, if you're not within driving distance on a Saturday or maybe from a Friday to Saturday, that's going to hurt you a little bit. But then it's, it is noticeably worse than that. That's not the only issue. So I don't know. Jevno, maybe not the best recruiter. There's definitely got to be some blame on his part. Craig, with your background more in recruiting, I don't know what your thoughts are about this. Well, you know, it's you, you take Otis Reese, for instance. You know, we talked about on the last show being an 18-month commitment to Michigan and then losing him at the last minute. It's seriously some things are going on, you know, um, underhandedness. Maybe you want to say on George's part, you know, you know, we, you know, you and I have talked on, you know, we don't, we're not inside guys, but sometimes this whole bagman, you know, giving players money to come to their school has always been a focus. And we have inside thing, you know, what we've heard players say they have been offered, but you know, they're not going to say anything out loud and come out and say it. But, um, I think it's a known problem within the NCAA. So, and I don't know in this case, but it certainly looks fishy at the last moment. You had Otis Reese change, uh, even though, you know, he, he, he likes to, he, he is a mama's boy, like, uh, Rashawn was talking about, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Drevno, you know, it, He's a tough cat to figure out because it's almost like Jim Harbaugh's protecting him at times. And, you know, for good reason, because you're getting beat up. And there's times like you and I had a really tough time figuring out this offensive line. I knew the offensive line was in big trouble at spring game. From the very first, they couldn't block anybody. And so um, then, of course, the year after when he had Wilton Spade, I think we had our linebacker issues. And then you had Don Brown really clean that up and did a great job. So now you got offensive line issues, which can't happen this year. This, it, it, you can't, <laughs> this can't happen. And as far as Jim B. P. talking about, you know, getting the guy, the Cal, you know, the guy from Rice to transfer the from, uh, Calvin Anderson, the offensive tackle. Um, it's between us and probably Texas. I know he's he's visiting a SEC school at this moment, you know, and obviously you and I have our issues with SEC schools, right? And I'm recruiting process and things like that. But uh, I think it might come down to us and Texas because Michigan has recruited him or tried to get him the, the, the most. In fact, they handed uh, Jim Harbaugh and Drevno both went down there and handed him an offer. Uh, in person, which means a lot, I'm sure. But uh, it'd be great to get him on uh, on this team, only because I don't know how he is going to be as a player, but just to get that depth and have a player who has experience at the offensive tackle position, we need that. And so I don't know how good he'll be, but at least he has experience, and that's what we need at Michigan. So we'll just have to wait and see on that guy. Yeah, absolutely. Experience would be a big thing, and – you would want to say that coaching would be able to make a difference too. Yeah. Uh, but with, I, I, yeah. <laughs> but with Drevno being in that position as well, it's kind of like, yeah, maybe, I mean, cause we saw how poorly, how poorly things turned out this year with his regiment. And so it's kind of like, well, maybe he's not that high level of a player at rice, but get him under the right coach under the right condition, uh, conditioning and lifting, uh, team as well which is something that we're excited about with the changes at Michigan uh that could turn him almost into a different player but yeah coaching needs to be good too so not only are we looking at a recruiting issue but we're like okay can you develop and coach these players up which we haven't seen no. so the only time that we've seen production from the offensive line and <clears throat> not to say that was anything too amazingly special was the first year that Harbaugh showed up. And ever since then, it's been on steady decline. So that shows lack of development over time. The first year, a lot of different changes and everything. And so we're seeing things get worse and worse. So that cannot happen this year. It has to be improved from last year. It doesn't have to be a complete 180. It'd be amazing if it was, but it has to be improved. If it's not improved, then it is uh, an axe has to fall on somebody, something, somewhere. Yeah, no, so. I agree. Well, that'll be interesting what they do, but they have to. Yeah, you're right. They got to clean it up. They got to get. Uh, they got to get some blocking. You know, you got to do it for, especially for the passing game. They got to get it down. So, and I think once you get the passing game blocking down, it open up. It opens up the holes for the running game, and I think that's why you saw. 
uh, running backs not do as well as they should have, not because they're not good running backs. I just think, you know, you get you get a running back like Evans, who's a speed, kind of a elusive speed guy, and, open, you know, he's better in the open areas and open field. But when you can't block and they, you know, and the defense presses, he's not going to be very effective. He's not a big running back, so. Yeah. Yeah. I wish we had an answer for you, Jim, uh, on specifics with that. But we, at this time, we don't really have a lot of information with that. I mean, uh, Drevno is not really going anywhere unless something crazy unexpected happens here where we are already like the middle of February, um, which is rare to see things happen uh, at this time of year. But yeah, uh, not a lot of solid answers there for you on that. We do have another conversation piece here from a um, uh, listener from actually on our SoundCloud. Somebody posted uh, a question and everything. There's another um, uh, Michigan podcast uh, out there that uh, we follow and they follow back uh, with us. And they were asking um, on something that we've touched before, but with the Eno situation and even Hugh Freeze, if he wanted to coach, what are your thoughts on coaches being able to bounce around without penalty, but a player like Shea Patterson gets penalized for transferring? No, that's a good question. Yeah. So, Craig, do you want to start that off, or do you want me to start the conversation? No, go ahead. Go okay. Uh, I was looking for this, and I wish I w- was able to find it before we recorded this here. But I saw something, and I don't know what level of, um, I guess, the system this was at. But there are talks on adjusting things for – there was some talk, and le- legitimately how deep it went and everything, about talks with, I think, when the coach leaves – something about opening up with transfers for players for when the coaches leave. So I don't know, uh, and I can't remember from reading it because it's been weeks now. Um, I don't know if that was specifically pertaining to when a coach goes and takes another job or does he have to be, or is it does it not apply when he's fired and, you know, what the stipulations are. But it does sound like this might be, getting addressed eventually, but as the situation stands now, I mean, you look at, I think assistants and coordinators and things like that, it's a, I don't know. Well, no, I guess it would need to say the same, at least for offensive and defensive coordinators and the head coach, because it does kind of make a a difference, especially considering if it's in the situation that they're discussing, Hugh Freeze on where there were, illegal allegations and then they're dismissed and then they can just pick up coaching. I think was he suspended from being able to coach for a time period? I can't remember if he just got fired. I can't remember either. Yeah. So I, um, actually, yeah, I don't know if he was uh, suspended from being able to coach because even thinking to the art Bryles situation, I think uh, Mm -hmm. some people looked at him possibly for some kind of a coaching thing. So I, I'm not sure, but I, I do believe that there should be some kind of a, a balance. Like, for instance, okay, if you do allow a coach to just leave, maybe I don't know if it would be a focus on just the head coach or the head coach and the offensive coordinators because of such a big role they play in recruiting players. I mean, I believe wasn't wasn't Ohio State a few years ago where they had a uh, coordinator and, like, right after signing, they, they went and they took another job? Right. So, uh, so basically, uh, and I can't remember even what player it was. Uh, there was a player that was livid and mm-hmm. was really upset because they were a key part of them being recruited and deciding to go there was this coach. And then after they, after a national signing day, when the paperwork's done and everything, the coach, that coach left and the player couldn't do anything about it. Um, right. So yeah, there needs to be, um, something specifically tied to that. I mean, I don't know if maybe it's something on like what coach is the one to offer them a scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, so say whoever shows up, like maybe it's a tight ends coach and we know that's not always a coordinator, but it's coach. And so it's just like, okay, if that coach leaves for another job, you then open it up to that player, uh, the players that that 
coach specifically gave offers to to be open to some kind of a transfer or something. I don't uh, I don't know, but it does need to be leveled. There does need to be something taken into account, especially the Hugh Freeze situation because that's with penalty. And um, so that, honestly, I think transferring should be wide open because they got screwed by the coaching staff. You know there was some level of knowledge with the school at some part. I mean, I just – you have to believe that. Um, yeah. someone mm-hmm. somewhere else on I mean, well, school, I mean, the coach is a part of the staff of the program with the school. So the school did have knowledge. So the school is responsible for it. So if, um, they, it should just be made that the players should be able to get out of a bad situation like that, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And I, it, this is one of those really odd questions. I mean, it's one of the questions where, you, you know the lay you you take a a head coach who's under contract who gets paid you know millions of dollars to come and coach at a school but then you know that contract and you know they can can, can even get guaranteed money if you know the the school gets rid of them so they get money that way which is a little strange to me at that time because if you're failing to do you know to to have put up a good product on the field and you're failing at it, you should be able to be let go of your contract and not even owe many money. But, uh, but that's part of getting that coach to your school. Right. And, um, when it comes to recruits and when it comes to players, on the other hand, it seems to be different. I, <clears throat> I almost think you almost need some sort of contractual thing where you're, you know, you're talking about where, like say you're a tight ends coach and, you know, bringing up that, that example and saying you got brought in by that school, by that particular coach and he leaves. Um, there should be something in there in a clause or something that says if that happens, that you should be able to be trans, you should be able to transfer and be, and still be eligible to play. And that's the problem is having that eligibility, you, you know, Usually NCA, you you have a year to sit out, and you can't do that unless you're not bowl bound, I guess. And um, and that's the difficult part in this is you know is the sitting out for a year, but then you have to wait. And I think that's where I think the players and um are getting trying to find that loving playing field. I think that's perfectly fine for me. I I don't see why that's a big deal. I, I really don't. I don't see why players can't have the option to transfer if they want to, and it seems like they're getting penalized for a year and having to sit out to go to the college they want to play and start at. And some of these excuses, you know, I can see why they do it at times, but then there's times like, you know, take Shea Patterson, a perfect example is you take Hugh Freeze who brought him in and then all these sanctions are brought up against him. And then he's like, Hey, look, we were brought in here, brought in here and we were lied to or this and this and that. And it's almost like a case by case uh, uh, situation with him um, where they should sincerely look at Shea Patterson deal and say, Hey, you know what? He got brought in under these false uh, uh, circumstances and now he wants to leave. And I, it, it, to me, it's almost like it should be a slam dunk by the NCA. Go look, he was lied to. A lot of things went down. There's sanctions against uh, Ole Miss and Hugh freezes out. And these guys should be able to be a transfer and start wherever they want. And, you know, I'm hopefully that's what's going to happen. Uh, well, I will say one thing, and I guess I didn't think about earlier when I was, uh, talking but i i can kind of understand where you're saying where there should be no issues with so you're basically saying like even if the coach doesn't change the players should be able to transfer if they really want to um well you know i I get why they want you know why they they have the one year set out when it comes to that i understand it i've read it and i i get why they do it um but i don't i think when it comes to special circumstances like the old miss, then I think it's perfectly, and this is where I call it a case by case. You shouldn't have to say, Hey, you know what we have? Cause everything's different. You know, you take old miss from Penn state, Penn state was, you know, obviously a, a gigantic mess. All those players, every one of them were able to transfer out and play and be eligible all in the same year. 
And is Penn State different? Of course it is than Ole Miss, but it is – Ole Miss broke rules. They did – you know, they, they got in trouble. They shouldn't have. And I think that's a case-by-case basis where the NCAA looks at that and says, hey, you know what? These guys – you know, the school almost got in trouble and, you know, Shea Patterson and some of the other old must should be able to transfer and play and eligible. That's why I'm talking about the case by case, you know, look at it uh, figure it out and, and, and kind of put it in the record books and be fair after that. So, yeah. Hmm. It'd be kind of interesting to think about because it's just like, maybe they move up the, uh, no, I don't know. Yeah, there, there's a lot that can be thought about w- with this and broken down. I do think that it would be if something kind of with national, almost when they sign their letter intent of intent and everything, maybe they put it in there where it's just like, I was recruited, I was given a scholarship offer from this specific coach, head coach and or ass- whatever assistant coach. And it's just like under, under uh, an understanding clause, whatever, if either coach leaves – not not gets fired but leaves to take another position at another school i have a, the option to transfer or something like that because obviously they're big those coaches let's use the example of two coaches let's say a head coach and an offensive coordinator a recruiting kid and they both offer him a scholarship and right. so then in their national signing day i i have no idea what that letter really looks like but maybe something should be worded in there because essentially, I mean, it's it's a binding contract because it gets sent in and, you know, once it's in, you can't get out. And as we've heard from other stories, maybe in there it says something where, um, uh, and we'll just use the example of Michigan, it's just like if Jim Harbaugh or Tim Drevno leave to take another job without being fired by the University of Michigan, I reserve the right to then transfer because they were part, they were a key component of me right. choosing to attend this school to play sports and for my education. Yeah, yeah exactly. So right. may, maybe something like that. I feel like there should be something that works in the player's favor. Now, of course, you have to be careful because then you could get turned into chaos because then it's just like, we'll completely remove the one year of, you know, sitting of eligibility. And then you might get some of those players where they go to school for one year, they don't play. And then they're just like, uh, I don't really know if I like it here. And then they try to transfer and then you have mass chaos. So I understand that there has to be some limitation because you can't just, you know, have people being like, Oh, I played my freshman year here. But then uh, a guy that I went to high school with who graduated a year behind me decided to go here. So now I'm going to go there and play right. with him or, you know, th- there has to be some. It sounds to me like you're heading t- towards the, because getting players and recruiting is almost in a way big business, right? Like h- getting a head coach is business. It's, it's to me, it's, as, as much as I hate saying, you know, you just go to a college and you try to enroll and try to get, and you want to get a scholarship and you get, and you commit. You have, To me, you're committed to the school. Are you saying to me that we're almost on the verge of recruits and, and players having contracts to go to schools to play? Well, they already technically kind of have a contract. I mean, they right. sign it. They send it in. Right. It says if you're, you know, is there a clause in there that says, hey, if one of your, if your head coach or your recruiter decides to leave and whatever, you're bound, you know, in, in, is that part of the part of the contract? You know, I don't know. I don't know what they signed, but it, it it does seem to be something that we're heading down towards, right? Yeah. Which yep. is really interesting. Then it just makes the whole, you know, going to college wherever you want. Yeah, it doesn't really seem to be that way for players. <laughs> you can't really just get up and leave. So, but it is really, really inter- interesting because you know what the the thing about Patterson is, that his case on the other hand, there's no. There's no exception to the rule that really cl- clearly fits Patterson at this point. That's why I'm having a tough time figuring out whether he this is going to go through or not because he's kind of the exception. You know, there's no – and it, his case is a little bit 
this case is different. And, you know, I can see the NCA look at that and just, you know, and say, yeah, you can play. But then again, there's no, there's nothing, there's nothing in here in the sanctions that's happening with old miss that, that, that can't make him eligible. You know what I mean? And so that's the difficult thing is, is people want a hard core answer and want to follow the rules this is why you're seeing the media and everyone out there saying that they really don't know because the NCAA can clearly rule in his favor, and then they clearly can't. And so we're sitting there going, it's, they're treating this almost like a case-by-case basis. And so even Shea Patterson said to himself, I believe, he quoted as saying, you know, I should be able to win this. Um, should he? My opinion? Yeah, I think he should because I think Old Miss – kind of gave them a bill of goods and you know the whole thing was a mess and they knew that and kind of hid it from these players and so this is where you're at yeah so it's definitely going to be a lot more um a lot more to discuss i mean don't you think the whole head coach and players is that's the thing is your is players want to hold head coaches that with the same responsibility and the same, you know, is when they, when they go out and they find a different head coaching job and they just leave. And so the players think that there should be some accountability when it comes to that. Um, and I think you and I agree on that. There should be. Yeah. And that's something that's used a lot with, uh, um, some people with negative recruiting talking about how coach isn't going to be there for much longer and so on and so forth. So, right. Yeah. And you're being lied to. Yeah. They, you know, they're not going to say, Hey, I'm leaving to a recruit. <laughs> just not going to do that. So, but, uh, yeah, it is going to be really interesting. I think there's, you know, uh, hopefully the NCA fixes that, but you know, we know the NCA, you're trying to drop the ball a lot. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. That's no surprise there. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, we have one more thing here to discuss uh, towards the end of this, uh, the end of this uh, episode to wrap things up. Um, all this stuff has kind of tied itself together in different ways. Uh, we've talked about coaches in uh, each of these segments, and this one we're going to round out with a coaching conversation that has been kind of, I don't know, it was kind of not widely discussed for a little while. It was kind of just like rumors and small talk. But then it kind of uh, picked up speed, and honestly, I'm not sure exactly what it's doing, if it's uh, the validity with it, but it seems to have stalled. So I don't know if that's a meaning it's going to happen or not. But anyways, uh, more information with the Michigan coaching staff being from the standpoint of um, uh, Enos left for Alabama, and so there's a vacant wide receivers uh, coaching position that is needed to be filled. And a name came up. I don't know exactly when it first started, but uh, the name of Jim McElwain, which everyone – should be familiar with if you know much with uh, coaches' names and things like that. But the former head coach of the Florida Gators that Michigan played for the season opener back here in 2017, um, he was there with uh, three relatively not that highly successful seasons with Florida. Well, well, okay, actually, I shouldn't say that because he actually did do uh, uh, divisional titles. In the first two years, he had, yeah, you know, CC East titles. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, so you are right with that. I forgot about that. But it was a steep drop-off um, because he went from 10-4, and 9-4. So good seasons. Sorry. I kind of misspoke there a moment ago. But then he dropped to um, – why is that saying – that's not right. 3-4? and four? No. Something's wrong with those numbers. Uh, but then uh, he had a significant drop-off this year. Oh, no, he was fired partway through the season, wasn't it? That's what it was. Yeah, almost, yeah. Yeah, so he was 3-4 and four when he got fired. That's right, there we go. That's what makes sense. 
mm-hmm. um, prior to the Missouri game. That makes sense then. Um, so yeah, so he he was three and four, so uh, under five hundred, and he got let go. I don't think that he's got a position anywhere as it stands, but he is reported to be a contender for the Michigan wide receivers coaching position, uh, which I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know how to feel about that. Craig, what are, what are your initial reactions to let the possibility of Jim McElwain being uh, on the offensive staff? Well, one, I was thought it was a joke at first. I went, you're kidding, right? And then I went, this has got to be the weirdest thing in the world because we all know the whole shark photo and, <laughs> and the whole leading up and the and the jarring between uh, McIlwain and and talking about Michigan leading up to that first game. Remember that and mm-hmm. just the whole of them going back and forth. And now he's he might join our staff. Is just sweet irony in itself. I'm like this. Good grief, man. I went, wow. And then I just thought, I go, well, you know what? <laughs> you, you know, you're right. He had, you know, he was, he was very successful at Colorado State in 2012. And so that's why he went to Florida. Um, I think he went to Florida after that. Um, and he, he, the problem with McElwain is, you know, what do I think about it? I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's bizarre that you're going to have a guy who went, who, who's had, you know, stints at um you know eastern washington montana louisville michigan state and fresno state and even at alabama but then he actually coached at uh, the oakland raiders he's on the nfl level um but then um, not head coach but but you know and he did he was successful at colorado state and then he goes to florida and he has two successful seasons and he's he's an offensive mind guy so i understand that um He's an offensive kind of coach, but everybody knows Florida's was known for their defense, right? And so we're talking about last year, the team went 110 in the country in offense. <laughs> that's just, that's below us. And we didn't do very well. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you got 100, 110th rank in the country in offense. And that's probably why he was let go too, because he can score with a darn, and he couldn't score against Michigan. You know, I think their two of their scores were against us, or we gave it to them on pick sixes. But um, I think it's really, really interesting to get him in here. Obviously, he's 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 not um, he's not like Drevno, though. I mean, or anything like that. But to go, hey, you know, from head coach to head coach, and then go to the receivers coach is really a weird step don't you think i mean from something like that to go to a receivers coach seems to be such a drastic step down that you would wonder if this has somewhere in have to do with yeah they get him on the staff and then they just do something with drebno demote him and then McElwain moves up to somewhere offensive coordinator i don't know yeah it's, it's weird isn't it I no mean, yeah certainly i was definitely going to bring that up where it's just like does this feel like it's a move where they bring him in and he's the wide receivers coach and then they make him a co-offensive coordinator? Right, right, exactly. To essentially be like, okay, we're going to be moving Drevno out, but we're not going to make it so obvious, so we're going to do a co-offensive coordinator thing mm-hmm. and we don't have to pay the extra money for ditching Drevno and we limit what work Drevno's doing. Uh, McIlwain gets an opportunity to come in, kind of redeem himself from how poorly the head coaching went, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I don't – that I feel like this kind of move would make sense. But if he is just coming in just to be a wide receivers coach, I would be like, what? I don't – I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not – I wouldn't right. say it's a bad move. But it'd be a head-scratcher. So uh, some numbers. I was looking at an NBC Sports article. Uh, some numbers here for comparison, and I know you threw a little bit of this out. Yeah. But uh, last year, Michigan was averaging just over 25 points a game. Um, and you mentioned that the, that was 91st nationally. The Gators last year were 109th, so you were correct. That was worse. Um, but then the two years before that – 
was they were 107th and then 99th. So it's not like they had anything impressive offensively. So it's just like, ooh, get McIlwain because it's going to be amazing. Now, here's where kind of the interesting part comes in, though. Uh, for those of you who might not be aware, McIlwain was um, offensive coordinator at Alabama from yeah. 2008 to 2011. And during that time, he was able to produce – uh, teams that were averaging uh, over 30 points a game, over almost 35 points a game, which then ranked between uh, 20th nationally, nationally and 35th nationally. Now, I think the game has changed a little bit since then. In a decade, I think there are a lot more high-powered offenses, and you see what happens in the Big 12 sometimes where scores are like 50-something or 40-something. But... um that's that's still not too bad. So it's kind of a question where, okay, if you put him in a specialized role back into an offense, is he able to then focus his uh, efforts on that and, you know, get back into that groove of getting an offense to pr- be more productive? Because right. he certainly wasn't uh, looking like that when he was a head coach. Right. And you're right. He might be one of those guys where, you know, that's a great point you brought up is talking about maybe McElwain is one of those guys who who's very successful when it comes to a role where he's like the um, just a, a, a coach of, you know, offensive coordinator or some kind of receivers coach. But, you know, um, he might be really dang good with that. And that would be incredible for Michigan. And, you know, I, one thing I do know about him is he's, he's, he's not very uh, predictable when his play calling or, you know, and things like that. He's, he's an offense minded guy where he does a lot of uh, things that aren't predictable. And that's so not like Drevno is <laughs> in, in, in his lineup and his setups. But uh, uh, when you talk about McElwain, it is interesting because I know even at our work and and in the workplace, you know how they bring in the person to to your workplace who's not taking over your job, but then they have you train them, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and then you they train them, you train them really really well, and then you realize that you got demoted or you're out. <laughs> And so that's what it seems like to me. It's like, yeah, we're going to bring in Dr- uh, McElwain as a receivers coach and then. Hey, let him know a little bit about how the offense works. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he's offensive coordinator. But yeah, it is a little fishy that a guy like that would go from that. That he, I mean, talk. Look, McElwain could probably work, coach at a Mac school if he wanted to and get paid m- much more. So something is a little bit weird here. But uh, I would not be surprised if he was uh, like assistant head coach or offensive coordinator or something, but uh receivers coach, I don't know, man. Something's a little weird. Yeah. We'll have to watch it. Um, I just kind of you saying about how unpredictable he was offensively. I almost feel like, well, we've said it for a while. It's just like, we need the Don Brown version of an offensive coordinator. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I mean, McElwain showed that he was able to do some good things at Alabama um, being strictly offensively minded. So if you could reproduce things like that, not not identical, but just reproduce that intensity, that high performance and everything, I'd say go for it because, I mean, it's uh, that's what we need and everything. And so that would be interesting. But, yeah, right now with the whole situation with that, I'm kind of like, mm, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, it, it, we'll have to kind of watch and see what, the final say is first and foremost, even actually if it just happens. So, yeah, yeah, and you're right. And you, you know, he was pretty successful at Colorado State. You know, not one of the biggest colleges, big known colleges, but they were very, very formidable uh, uh, on when it came to their offense. And you know, their offensive team. But if anybody follows uh, Colorado State, but uh, he did really well with them. So you never know. Yeah, never know for sure. Um, I think we'll finish there, though. Uh, this might be a little bit shorter uh, of an episode here, but we were able to catch up on some things, uh, cover some questions that people had that I wanted to make sure that we could address. So, um, yeah, we'll end there. A reminder that next week we will be doing the 
um, National Signing Day review. So if you have any questions directly relating to that, feel free to send us an email, send us a note, comment on uh, our SoundCloud, or leave us a voicemail, and we can make that part of that episode. Uh, But then otherwise, after that, we'll probably be opening things up for uh, different content during the off-season and maybe experimenting with some new ideas. If you do want to get a hold of us, uh, you can send an email to bluebrothersportscast at gmail.com. Our Twitter handles are at bluebros underscore Caleb or underscore Craig at B-L-U-E-B-R-O-S underscore and then our names. Um, And the voicemail, which is easy to use anytime you want, uh, free to use, voicemail uh, by do you think, was it? What's that thing they always say? Charges may apply or whatever, regular charges. As long as you have a normal phone plan, it would work. Yeah. I don't know why they always say that, but forewarning. Uh, 551-258-3276. That is easy to remember because it is 551-BLUE-BRO. Yeah. Well, here we are. It's... uh, this is probably going to come out here kind of in the middle of the week. We hope things have started out well for you guys, and we hope the week goes by quickly and uh, you can enjoy your weekend. And who knows what's going to happen with the weather, especially if you're in Michigan. Whatever it is, wherever you are, drive safe. We hope you have an awesome day. But yep. We'll finish off with Go Blue. Go Blue. <laughs>